Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, so Simon Peter. I once heard a great description for Simon. And the description was, ready, fire, aim. So note the order, order there. I'm not, I'm not getting it wrong. Ready, fire, aim. So if anyone's ever shot a gun, you know that that order is wrong, or hopefully you do. I hope you don't have a gun and don't know that order. Uh, ready, fire, aim is the type of person that I think Peter was, and often I can relate to Peter in that way. You see, let me tell you a story to illustrate that ready, fire, aim principle in my life. So, I get excited about ideas quickly. I don't know if that's anyone else in this room, but I get really excited about ideas quickly. And so one day at work, I had an idea. See, I started thinking about the church in England, and it's, it's actually not that random. See, my parents are both from England. They immigrated to Canada in the mid-80s. And so England has a special place in my heart. And one day, I'm, I'm at work, I'm in my office, and I'm thinking about England, and this idea popped into my head. I'm like, I wonder if I could somehow help the church in England. How cool would that be? I mean, their churches there are beautiful. Uh, my grandparents' house, right down the street, there was this beautiful old stone church with nice steeple and everything. And, but, but more than that, I just had this idea that captivated me. What if God would use me to somehow help the church in England? And so I'm just getting more and more excited about this idea every minute. And I can't wait until the end of the day where I can drive home and tell my wife about this amazing idea that I've had. So the end of the day comes, I'm driving home. I burst through the door. I run up to Ellie in the kitchen, and I say, Ellie, I've had the best idea. Yeah, we're moving to England. And she looks at me kind of with this bizarre look on her face. I wasn't quite sure what was happening. And then she said to me something that I'll never forget. She said, the garbage needs to be taken out. <laughs> and I was like, maybe I just didn't say that like loud enough. Maybe it needs a little more gusto. So I said, I think we're meant to move to England. And she said, the garbage needs to be taken out. So I got the hint that she wasn't so convinced as I was on this idea. And you see, how I think that pertains to Peter is in Scripture, we often see Peter speaking in the probably wrong order. He has a thought, he has an idea, he has something that he's passionate about, and then it just bursts out. And so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. I, I got a little tripped up yesterday and spent a lot of time on this point, but here are just four quick examples of how I believe this fits Simon Peter's life in Scripture. And so first, he's outspoken but obedient. He's outspoken but obedient, and when Simon Peter was first called by the Lord, in Luke 5, there's the chapter uh, where it's the story of Simon Peter getting called by the Lord to follow him, and it says that Jesus got into his boat, he preached a message on his boat, and then he said, bring me back out into the deep and let out your net. And outspoken Peter right away responds, but Lord, we've already tried that. He has to make sure that he lets the Lord know, we've already tried that and it didn't work. We've been fishing all day. We didn't catch anything. And Jesus says, bring it out to the deep and put out your nets. And of course, we know how that story ends with, Peter was wrong. Jesus was right. They catch a lot of fish. And what I want to illustrate is that he was obedient. 
In that story, it actually says, Lord, we've been at this all day, but if you say so, then I'll do it. And so he was obedient. But the second thing I want us to pick up on is that he was hesitant, but humble. Peter was a hesitant follower of Jesus. See, after they hauled in all of those fish in Luke 5, it said that right away, Simon and all of the disciples were astonished at what they just saw. You probably would be too. I know I would. They hadn't caught anything all day, and then they get this massive haul. It almost sinks the ships. And they go, Lord, he, they're so amazed by this miracle that Peter, it says, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, depart from me, for I am I'm a wicked man. Man, Peter, for as hesitant as he was, was humble. Humble enough that when he got a revelation of who Jesus was, he simultaneously realized who he was also. Well, third, he was daring but doubtful, and we see that on the case case where he walked on water. Peter was daring enough that it was his idea to walk on water. In the middle of a storm, It was his idea. He called out to the Lord and said, call me out to walk on the water with you. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have brought up that suggestion. I would have said, Jesus, maybe you should just come in the boat. Like, why would I want to get out there in the storm? But there's Peter. He's daring. Call me out there, Lord. And then as soon as he gets out there, Peter has what many of us would have had long beforehand. He has a thought. Was this a good idea? And he sees the wind, he sees the waves, and he goes, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. And he begins to be filled with fear and doubt and sink. But Jesus pulls him out of the water, says, do not be afraid. But why did you doubt? So he was daring but doubtful. And then lastly, what I noticed from the life of Peter is that he was arrogant, but just arrogant. This, this story, there's no clever way that I can redeem it. He's just arrogant, and in Mark chapter 8, it says that Jesus reveals to his disciples, his followers, that he must suffer and die at the hands of the Romans. And they're so thrown off by this that Peter takes it upon himself to go, I know just what to do. I'm going to pull Jesus aside. He just, give me here, Jesus, let me just help you think this through a little bit. You're not going to die, Jesus. It says Peter pulls him aside privately and rebukes Jesus. Here's just a little note. Nobody takes Jesus aside. That is not a good idea. See, Peter does that. He tries. And then actually, when I was reading through this passage this week, I chuckled because it says, then Jesus turning to his disciples. See, Peter rebuked Jesus privately. Jesus, in turn, rebuked Peter publicly and says, get behind me, Satan. How many people have ever gotten that in their devotions? Get behind me, Satan. What words from Jesus. But Peter was arrogant at that moment. He thought he knew what was best. But as we can all probably relate, we've been arrogant at times too, haven't we? I know I have. So there's a snapshot at the the figure of Simon Peter, and I think that's why so many of us like him is because we feel we can relate to him in some way. But now I want to zoom in on one particular story in his life and see what we can learn. But first, I need to set it up a bit. So I want to talk about three types of people. 
three types of people, and no, you won't be able to find this list in Scripture, and I'm not trying to build a complex doctrine on this, but for the purposes of today's message, you just have to work with me. And I know that it's probably also oversimplified, but three types of people. Those who are trying to convince God, those whom God is trying to convince, and those who are convinced by God. I want to propose that these three stages or three types of people can actually be seen in the life of Peter. And I believe that probably this could in a general way summarize us at many times in our lives too. I think we can go in and out of these phases sometimes in the same year or month or I've even had it in the same week. And so let's look at Peter's life and see where he is in those three categories. All right, well, those who are trying to convince God, Peter is definitely one of the most zealous, eager, and sincere characters that I see in the Bible. And what I've learned from Peter is that he desperately wanted to be seen as Jesus' number one go-to man. And how that stands out to me is one story in particular found in Matthew 26, 31 to 35, and so I'm going to read it to you. This is at the Last Supper, right before Jesus was going to go to the cross. It says this, Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Who's ever made a never statement to God? I never will do this again, Lord. I will never respond in that way. I will never do that again. Peter says, I will never deny you. And then Jesus tries to throw Peter a line here. Okay, Peter, let's, do you really mean that? And Jesus says, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the disciples said the same. You can see there this adamant, I need to convince Jesus here that I am his reliable number one disciple. Jesus, I'm your guy. I don't know about these other guys here, but I'm never going to be the one to deny you. I'm going to follow you right to the end, even if that's death. And see, the trouble with trying to convince God is that it won't work because God is not like us. God cannot be tricked. God cannot be forced, and God cannot be coerced into our plans. See, Peter tried to give Jesus his best sales pitch. Tried to give him his most confident, brave face, and Jesus looked right through it and said, Peter, I know that that's what you think, but it's not actually how it's going to go down. And that scares me, because you see, People can be tricked. People can be forced or coerced into believing something about someone, but God can't. Just think about job interviews for a second. Job interviews, if you've been through an interview, you know that the golden rule is to put your best foot forward. That's not the day that you show up in your sweatpants and your hoodie. If you didn't know that, you should write that down. 
You don't show up to an interview in sweatpants and a hoodie, but you put your best foot forward. You, you're confident, and that's not altogether bad in an interview, but God isn't like that. You see, God sees right through us, right to the motives of our heart, and that's scary. So I wonder, I wonder how many of our best religious efforts or our most bold statements or our most confident comments that we make online are actually, from God's perspective, against His plan. I wonder how many times we say something or act in a way that we feel sure that this is going to be convincing to God, and it's actually the opposite of His plan for our life. And I wonder how much of our lives do we spend trying to convince God and to convince others? How many times do we wake up in the morning at the foot of another mountain that we have to face? And we put on that brave face and we go, I'm you know what, I'm just going to do this. I can get through this. Nothing will faze me. I wonder how many times we refuse to bring something to prayer because we're too afraid to actually show our, our fear and our weakness to God. We just feel that, no, I need to be confident. I need to have it all together. I know that that's been me for a lot of my life. See, for me, this looked like the early years of wanting to get into ministry. I went through school ministers year one, and I thought for sure, for sure, I would be in ministry within a year. I just went with a prospect this good. I mean, he has to put me in, in the game, right? And you know what the Lord did? The best thing that he could have ever done for me. He put me in a, in a factory or I just worked on an assembly line, and those were some of the best years of my life. I probably wouldn't have said that at the, in the moment, but looking back, the Lord knew, Chris, you're so confident. You're so self-reliant. You need a season where you just go into the desert. And I worked in that factory, and I, I preached sermons in that factory, actually, it was great. The machine noise was so loud that no one could hear me, and so all day long I would preach sermons. And I just thought, any minute, I'm going to get the call, any minute, oh yeah. And then a year passed, and then two years passed, and then three years passed. But it wasn't all, you know, nothing was happening. The Lord was working on my heart. And maybe you've been through a season like that too. Maybe you're in a season like that. Whatever the case is, do you ever stop and wonder, what if all of my striving just ceased for a minute? What would happen if I stopped ruthlessly trying to convince God and others that I am worth something, that I am valuable, that I have something to offer? Would you feel that if you stopped striving that their love would cease? Maybe that's a scary thing to think about. But I want to put up a short list for you right now. Here's a short list of things that you do not need to convince God to give you. Now, I need to give a big caveat right from the start. When you look at a list like this, it is extremely important 
that you know that what I am not saying is this is a list of things that you deserve or that you are entitled to. Because that would be a wrong assumption. You look at a list like this, love, grace, forgiveness, the Holy Spirit. Let's stop with just those four. We are not entitled to those things. We do not deserve those things. But my point is that we also do not need to convince God to give us those things. Acceptance, comfort, a second chance, a new hope for the future, a new story. How many of us have a new story? All of us. Not just those with quote-unquote testimonies. We all have a new story. We were all bought by the blood of Jesus. And he says, I'm going to make your life different. Purpose, provision, healing, protection, and rest. These are all things that we do not need to go to the Lord and in our own effort and in our own might convince him to give those things to us. We all know that Scripture calls the Lord a father. And think about parents for a minute. Do parents wait for their kids to convince them to give them love? Good parents don't. They want to love their kids. They want to give their kids grace and hope. And so my question is, on that list there, what is an area of your life where you are striving to convince the Lord to give you something that he already wants to give you? But I want to move on to the second point because I think this hits a large group of us, probably more than we would realize. But the second one is just as important. The second type of person is those whom God is trying to convince. There very well could be people today here in this auditorium or joining us online that are listening to a message like this and you are on the outside of Christianity looking in. And you watch these people following this one called Jesus and you watch the way that they worship. You listen to the stories that they share about how their lives have been changed. And you see them be vulnerable to a fault at times. And you wonder to yourself, is it really real? Is that really true? And I want to say, I believe the answer is yes. It is true. God certainly does want to reach out to those who are on the outside. But I also want to suggest, church, that this is not just a message for those who are on the outside, and this is not just a point for those who are on the outside, but this is a point for us as believers, as we'll see in a minute in the life of Simon Peter. Perhaps you're already following Jesus, and you've blown it in some way. You've made some sort of mistake where you feel that now there is no way that the Lord could use you again. There is no way that he could look at you and call you pure. There's no way that he could look at you and call you son or daughter. Or maybe you're in the midst of a challenge right now. I've heard that 2020 isn't short on those. Perhaps you're in the midst of some challenge, though, aside from the pandemic, where you're wondering, how on earth am I going to make, that, make it through? 
You ever just get to a point when life just feels stacked up against you? I think we would be lying if we never said we got to a point where we wondered, is Jesus actually able to get me through this? You see, this point isn't just for someone who's on the outside looking into Christianity. This point is for us. This point is for the church, that there are those whom God is trying to convince. Well, let's pick up where we left off in the life of Peter. So he's back in the fishing boat in John 21. He's just had this epic boasting session where he claimed he would never disown Jesus. I would never deny you, Lord, even if I have to die with you. I will never deny you. And now, John chapter 21. We see that Jesus was right. Peter would deny him three times. Three times he denied Jesus. He said, I don't know the man. And then watched his Lord get crucified. And we get to John 21, and where's Peter and the rest of the disciples back in the fishing boat? How many of you, when you faced a trial, have gone back to the fishing boat? Going back to the, well, I guess I just want to go back to the way things were before Jesus. Peter had failed at convincing the Lord that he could be his number one guy. So he went back to the one thing that he knew, fishing. And it says that they were fishing all night and didn't catch anything. How frustrating would that be? Even when you run and try to go and do something that you are good at, you can't even be successful then. They had fished all night, and as morning came, they figured it was hopeless, but then a figure appeared on the beach. And John 21, 5 says this, Friends, have you caught any fish? Friends, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Thanks for asking, but we failed. And Jesus says, try throwing, they didn't know it was Jesus yet, the figure says, Try throwing the net on the other side. And they do it. And what happens? Their nets are so full of fish that they can hardly contain it. And it's at this point that it dawns on the disciples, I don't think that's just anyone. I think that's Jesus. And as soon as Simon heard, I think that's Jesus, he did something very Simon-esque. He jumped in the water and left the other guys in the boat. There's that ready, fire, aim again. Just, see you later, guys. I got to go and see Jesus. And he swims to shore. And as he gets to shore, he stands face to face with the one that he had just denied. Interesting to note that they're in Galilee. Just what Peter said, or sorry, just what Jesus had said. But after I have risen, I will go ahead to Galilee. And so they meet on the seashore. And Peter is looking at this one that he had just epically failed. And how would you feel in that moment to look at your Lord in the eyes? Would you feel ashamed? Would you feel embarrassed? Are you feeling ashamed and embarrassed? Well, I find that this following conversation is fascinating. I'm going to go to it now. This is John 21. I'm going to read to you the conversation that happens on the, she- on the seashore. Jesus makes breakfast for the guys. 
And after they had finished eating breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is verse 15, John 21, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus answered, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And how many of us, when we read this story, go, Jesus, he's right. You know all things. Why do you keep asking him? Why do you keep pressuring him to respond to this question of if he loves you or not? You know all things. You know that Peter loves you. You know, you see his shame. You see his hurt. I want to propose to you today that it was not Jesus who needed convincing of Peter's love. It was Peter who needed convincing. Peter, I did not call you to be a fisherman. I called you to be a fisher of men. Your shame, your failure, your hurts do not disqualify you, Peter. You feed my lambs, Peter. How many of us need to be convinced by our Lord that we are not disqualified? That you are not disqualified from your failure. You are not disqualified from your fear. Jesus is asking us today, do you love me? And Jesus responds by saying this one last thing. Feed my sheep, very truly I tell you, that when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would die to glorify God. Isn't it ironic that it was Peter who was trying to convince the Lord, even if I have to die for you, Lord, I will never disown you. He failed. But now on the seashore, what's, what's Peter being told? Peter, you will die for me. Just like you said, buddy, you will die for me. And do you know what I find a little bit comical, but also comforting? Do you know what Peter's first response to the Lord's news is? What about John? Does John have to die for you? You see, now it is who's convincing who in this story? It's no longer Peter trying to convince the Lord that he will be faithful. It's the Lord convincing Peter. You are going to do it. You are going to be faithful. You will die for me, Peter. And now Peter needs convincing from the Lord. I'd like to propose that that's the side of the line I would rather be on. I would be far rather on the side of needing the Lord to convince me that I can follow him rather than trying to convince the Lord that I'm good enough for him to follow me. You see, Jesus responded about that question about John by saying this, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. 
And today, church, Jesus is asking us, these trials, the things that I'm asking you to do, what is that to you? You follow me. You follow me. Jesus never promised us comfort or ease, but he did promise that he would lead the way. See, those words, follow me, are so comforting. I woke up early this morning to this burden on my heart that it would be a failure if you walked away from this message remembering Peter or remembering yourself and your current situations instead of remembering Jesus. So I want to end this message by talking about the hope that we have for the one that we follow. He will not fail. So the third type of person is those convinced by God. And looking at the life of Jesus, sometimes I think we get confused by those convinced by God because we think in our mind, those convinced by God, they have to be fearless. They have to be confident in all they do, and then they have to be able to actually do it. And I want to propose to you that being convinced does not mean being fearless. Look at the life of Jesus in this fascinating passage in Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, 7-9 says this, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. Does that sound like fearless? That's Jesus with fervent cries and tears. He offered up prayers to his Father. And it says, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. That sounds to me like someone who is convinced. You see, being convinced by God does not mean the absence of being afraid at times. It does not mean sometimes that you will not get weary. It does not mean that sometimes you won't have doubt. It does mean, though, that we reverently submit to God and we say, Jesus, I'm following you. I want to follow you, Lord. No matter what lay ahead, Jesus, I want your way, not my way. There's one more passage in Hebrews that I think really summarizes this well, and it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. This passage you're going to have to forgive me, young adults, because I basically quote this passage every time that I speak. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Therefore, consider him 
who endured such opposition that you might not grow weary and lose heart. You see, the power of being convinced by God has nothing to do with our bold claims of being able to follow Him. It has everything to do with what your eyes are fixed on or who your eyes are fixed on. Church, who are our eyes fixed on in this time? Are our eyes fixed on what the media has to say? That can be scary because good news there is hard to come by at times. Are our eyes fixed on ourselves and on our own ability to stand up under the weight of pressure? Are our eyes fixed on anything other than Jesus? Because I want to propose that if the answer is yes, I'm not sure how the outcome will go. But those who fix their eyes on Jesus, those who behold Him, those who look at His life and see because He endured, so can I, and we rely on Him to get us through. Those are the ones who make it through the storm. Those are the ones who are convinced by God because our eyes are fixed on Him. And so, are you convinced? That is my question. And if not, what's stopping you? What's stopping you from being convinced today? Is it fear of what it's going to look like to follow Him? What if it costs too much? What if I don't have what it takes? Perhaps it's pride. I don't know what to do. I don't want to admit that I'm stuck and that I need help. I don't want to show weakness. Is it sin? Is it that perhaps we've got these things that it's not that we want to hold on to them, but we just don't know how to let go of them? Or I'm afraid to open up and show someone. Would you pray with me, church? Jesus, I want to thank you that we can fix our eyes on you. Jesus, I want to thank you for the example that you left. And Jesus, I want to thank you as well that you endured the cross on our behalf. And God, when we see that, when we get the the understanding that we are not leading the way, we are simply following you. It doesn't make all of our problems disappear, but it gives us hope. It gives us hope that you will be with us through the hard times. It gives us hope that you will not leave us to do it on our own. And so, Father, whatever it is that is standing in our way of being convinced by you, God, in this worship time, I just want to lay that down. We want to lay that down before you. Jesus, help us to do that now. In your name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you to stand with us. We're going to enter into one last song of worship. And you can take this before the Lord. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email 
prayer at mycellfund.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at mycellfund.com.